would be an ecumenical matter. Hello and welcome to Ecumenical Matters, the Father Ted podcast. We're up to episode 11 now. Uh, I've been miscounting the last couple of weeks because I was saying we were at uh, episode 8 when we were actually at episode 9. And I said we were up to episode 9 when we were actually at episode 10. But we are now actually at episode 11. Marty's in the class. We're in double figures. It's great. It's great. Uh, we're double figures, and it's the proper double figures. It's like, do you know the way the year 2000 is actually the last year of the old millennium? Mm-hmm. And 2001's actually the first year of the new millennium. It's like, uh, episode 11 is the first episode that's actually in double figures. Isn't that great? It's brilliant. Isn't that so great? 10 is like the really the last single figure. And actually, remember. excitingly, it was, uh, what this episode is 11. There is no points. There's no 11 points. Oh, Ireland, they no points. New, new plan, <laughs> as we say. Uh, and the voice you just heard there is uh, one of my dearest friends, Marty Devine, who is uh, the biggest Euro f- Eurovision file uh, person I know. Is that a word, Marty? I don't think Eurovision file is a word, but uh, Eurovision fan. Eurovision fan. Uh, and you're also uh, a very noted comp- uh, composer and musician. So uh, tell us a bit about what you're working on at the minute. Well, at the minute, I'm actually working on a Eurovision song for the Eurovision Song Contest, and I'm going to be pitching it to many different countries, not just one. Um, Fantastic. Yep, I've, Very apt. I've just finished writing it and um, I'm just looking for a performer and to what, sing it now. Uh, what's the song? Now, you have told me before that it was a song that would be specifically for Ireland, but you said it doesn't necessarily need to be a, an Irish song? No, it doesn't need to be an Irish song. It's called The Drinking Game right. and it's about a girl who goes out and gets drunk and kind of regrets her accent somewhat, but um, I think it'll be fun and it's actually really really after Eurovision because it's something different. Oh, brilliant. And uh, you're looking for a singer as well, is that right? I'm looking for a singer uh, aged 18 to 25 with uh, an amazing voice, but also a wee bit of character about her as well. Because I think now with Eurovision, you need to have that act. Yeah. It's not just about the song anymore. So I'm not looking for a performer who wants to be themselves. I kind of wanted them to go in and be their be this person that I want them to be and we're recording a video as well so hopefully it'll be fantastic good. but it used to be just be about the music man it's not about the music <laughs> anymore it's about everything it's about everything it's about the whole presentation really isn't it yeah uh, yeah full stage show yeah uh, so we're up to season 2 episode 5 A Song for Europe which you may have gathered at this point is about the Euro. well it's about Eurovision and Eurovision culture really uh, which was very very prevalent in Ireland in the mid 90s but I've got a few wee messages to listeners. I'll have a few shout-outs to make. And Rachel McElmoyle, who's a new convert to the podcast. She's not been watching Father Ted before, but she's now listening to the podcast. So hopefully we can we can uh, convert her to be a Father Ted fan. Well, you're getting new fans every day, aren't you? Well, hopefully, hopefully. And Father Ted's getting new fans, which is probably the most important thing about this podcast. Exactly. If I can if I can bring it back to the new generation, I think it will like, give them back to the world. What do you think? Yeah. And there is a bit of sad news today, actually. In the last few hours, we got the we got the news of the passing of Carolina Hearn, who was a brilliant uh, comedian and actress. Uh, she's famous for Mrs. Merton and the Royal Family, and she was in the Fast Show as well, which is where she would have crossed paths with Graham Linehan, because one of his early jobs was actually a, a staff writer on the Fast Show. Not a lot of not a lot of people know that, uh, but he was in the early episodes of the Fast Show. He was involved. Uh, do you have any memories of Carolina Hearn, Marty? I think my. Uh best memories of Caroline Heron was just the Royal Family. I think the Royal Family was just this complete unique show that was it was different to everything else that was on TV at the time. It yeah. was just an ordinary family sitting down watching TV and really could and actually that's the funny thing is that she was in Gogglebox as well. And uh She was, wasn't she? Yeah, she done the voice of Gogglebox. Oh okay. So that it was sense, actually right? really funny how um 
it actually transcended to Gogglebox sitting watching that, a TV. I didn't know that she was still working at all at the minute. I didn't, I didn't even know she had cancer, which is what she yeah. died of. But yeah, her uh, last gig was Gogglebox. And yeah. now actually it's been handed over to um, her husband in the show, which is... Oh, fantastic. To Jim. Yeah. Or not Jim, uh, Pat Cash. Uh, Craig Cash. Craig Cash is his name. Yeah, so we might as well get straight into it then. Uh, so in 1996, Ireland was a Eurovision powerhouse. Ireland was a Eurovision powerhouse in 1996. They just came back of three back-to-back victories in 91, 92, 93. Actually, I'm lying. 92, 93, 94. Right. Uh, the winner in 95 was Norway. Who, uh, Norway? Norway, Norway, which um, the fiddler was from Ireland. And 96 was... The comeback year. It was the comeback year. It was a bit. It was a bit of a, a bit of a. You know, they were on the beach a bit for the '95 tournament, were they? Well, they, they didn't have their head in the game. They didn't have their they head were just in the game. Folding it in, I think, were they? Yeah, I think RT was about to go bankrupt at that stage. So. Well, we'll get into that a bit later on in the episode when when it actually comes up because I do want you to chat about that. Um, but to get into the episode, then it opens up with Ted humming. Uh, what is it? Nas Nasin Doman. Can you? Nasin Dorma. Nasin Dorma. Yeah. Uh, do you, can you hum that for us? Marty, that was the most uh, terrible estimation of that tune I could possibly You're supposed to be the musician. You're not the first person to say that to me today, so... Well, you know, unfortunately I'm not a singer. That's why I like to stay on the page. On the page. Well, you're the important guy. You're like the Aaron Sorkin or the Shakespeare... The exactly. singer can be replaced any time. Do you know what? That's all you need. You just need a new singer. But you know what? You, a song needs a good singer nowadays. Well, it does. But, you know, you can hold it over, the, like, over them like the sort of Damocles because you can just get singers five for penny these come days. Come to me. Come to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nessun Dorma, which was made famous, of course, by the late greats. There's going to be the first of a few late greats uh, today. Uh, the late great Pavarotti. That's his most famous tune. Um, he was also quite famous in the mid-90s. So, I mean, this episode is very much rooted in its time mm. but yet it has seemed to have uh, maintained a timelessness by just being a sort of a time capsule of that particular era of well Eurovision fever I suppose I think Eurovision fever um, I think you know at this point in time Ireland wasn't really good at anything they weren't good at football the fact that Ireland did keep winning Eurovision was monumental in Ireland wasn't it yeah it was a, it was a definitely national pride yeah you know Years before, I heard my mother talk about sitting listening to the wireless. The wireless, um, yeah. Everyone got together and, you know, if they were lucky enough for someone else to have a TV next door, they would all get around and watch Eurovision. And I think, uh, you know, coming off Johnny Logan won in the 80s and then they had just had these three amazing wins in a row. It was definitely Eurovision fever just hit Ireland. Well, exactly. As you said, it was a real source of national pride. And I have spoken about different things that Ted has, uh, that Ted has touched on about just the position Ireland was in at that time because you had this country coming out of basically the whole world was just thinking of it as just uh, drunkards who ate potatoes with iron sweaters on and that's all the people thought of Ireland Mm -hmm. and then you two came along and that sort of changed things but then in the mid 90s things were coming thick and fast it showed the diversity and breadth of Irish culture well yeah Um, it was the Celtic Tiger wasn't it it was like well the Celtic Tiger was to follow and I would actually I would actually appropriate the Celtic Tiger uh, to things like uh, Father Ted and also possibly to the Den 
you know, Dustin yeah. and Zig and Zag yeah. uh, and Ray Darcy. And the Riverdance, you and, know. Yeah, and the Which River- was the midtime show in the Eurovision in 1994. Well, exactly. And actually got bigger applause than the winner of the song. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, well, no, nobody actually remembers what the, the song was, but everyone assumes the Riverdance was Ireland's entry, yeah, which yeah. it wasn't. It was just like the halftime show. Yeah. It was just like the sort which of midterm uh, entertainment. Which was cobbled together in a week. It was. Um, really? Yeah, it was really interesting uh, because Ireland won it and they had to do three. They had nothing left to show, so like they heard that someone was doing a, a dance trip, so they're like, "Oh yeah, let's get this in." So about you know three or four weeks worth of contest, they were like, "Right, you're performing," and it turned out to be a world sensation. Well, exactly. It was a sensation. It even showed up on Father's Head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to get back then, so Dougal has has a record collection, or he's going looking for his record collection. It starts off with very humble beginnings because, as we find out, he only has one record. One seven inch. Poor Diggle. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot much in life, but at least he's got a record. He's, he, well, he's got his, his uh, burgeoning record collection. It will actually get much bigger, and they'll move into much more experimental territory in season three when he starts getting uh, BBC sound effects albums and <laughs> playing them. So it's, but he, he uh, his one record is the the fifth the entry that came fifth in a song for Norway in nineteen seventy five. So he's a proper Eurovision hipster. He is, you know, he's uh, he really loves Eurovision, and yeah. that's a, like the fans of Eurovision are. They know who won, what year he. They know what came third that year and how many points they've got. There's something I've not really got into, but um, no, no, you haven't got into the stats of it. Just uh, more the songs. Yeah, right? there's some, there's some super fans, super fans. It was 1970. I think it was 75. 75. Ireland came second that year, actually. Oh, really? With what? Yeah, uh, that's what friends are for by the Swalbricks. Swarbricks. Swarbricks. Well, you mentioned that one. That's uh, the video for My Lovely Horse, which we'll get onto, uh, was heavily inspired by the video for that song. Um, so I'm gonna have to check that out and hopefully put a clip on the put a clip on the podcast. Um, but yeah, Graham Linehan and Arthur Matthews could describe that as the funniest music video they'd ever seen. <laughs> so uh, we'll have to check that out. We'll have to we'll have to get that viral again. We will. I yeah. haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But well, incidentally, Norway came ninth that year. So. Oh, did they? Well, he doesn't get into the stats of it. He just knows this uh, random. Uh, random stats off the top of his head. Have you ever had any seven inches? I haven't had a record player. Never, no. Never had a record player. You know, I've always been on tapes. Tapes, I was tapes. I grew up. Well, I started with tapes, and I sort of hit CDs when CDs were um, were sort of yeah. at their peak. Yeah. What was uh, the first I, CD you bought? Uh, first CD. Ooh, that's a good question. It would have been probably an Oasis. In fact, it might have been Eminem. Eminem. Yeah, it might have been Eminem's first album. No, I don't think I'm back at it. I had a tapes, uh, a few Oasis tapes and stuff. Mm. But see, a lot of stuff I got hand me down from my cousin. When I say hand me down, I was at his house and just helped myself, and <laughs> <laughs> as you do, you know. Uh, but I sort of built up a record, a CD collection um, of about ninety CDs odd. And just behind you, right, literally one hundred and eighty degrees to your good self, we inherited a CD player in this new flat that we're in, and. Uh, I sort of missed not having CDs to hand that I could just plug in and just put on. Nice. So there's about five CDs over there. So you, but you do get the, you do get sick of listening to them, like. Well, I do, and I, I do see a CD over there that uh, you've definitely downloaded off the internet here. No, now, that, as a songwriter, I would uh, find that very. It's repulsive. actually it's actually not. It's a mixtape, but yeah, I'd say the source of the values <laughs> that on that mixtape probably were uh, illegally distributed. And I'm will just say I'm very much against piracy. Like that's the reason I haven't watched any Game of Thrones because. I, d- I don't torrent. I'm, yeah, I feel too guilty yeah. about it now, as a performer and knowing so many struggling performers. 
Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. It's it's hard. It's hard out there, especially nowadays. Well, I was got into watching a few YouTube clips there of just interviews of films, and uh, one of them was Edward Norton and Brad Pitt discussing Fight Club at the time. But films like that that were really sort of experimental and off the beat were being made all the time in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Now they're not being made at all. You know, there's no sort of really sort of jarring sort of against the against the grain films yeah. now. Now it's yeah. all whatever's safest. We'll keep pumping them out. Oh, that's what that's what Hollywood's doing. Actually, that's what music's doing as well. Exactly. You know, yeah. There's, there's no. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. The radio one just plays their own, like whatever they think is going to play, and they play it and repeat and repeat and repeat, and they don't give anyone else a new exactly, chance. Exactly. Yeah. Is, it's very sad for for people trying to come up in the industry. Like I go to a music college, the London Centre of Contemporary Music, and you know there's so many talented people there and so many talented songwriters, but you know they're they're not getting a chance and you have to do everything yourself now you have to like promote yourself and mm. which is which is a it's, great it's thing it's a full-time as well. job in yeah. itself by it, the way yeah i know this from trying to publicize this podcast like yeah and just my acting career um but yeah and for someone just to give someone a chance which is not really happening it's happening less and less nowadays you need to have that following first before someone will be like oh we'll play your song on the radio it's not as simple as years ago where you just send your CD to the radio it just doesn't yeah really and work maybe Jerry Anderson would put it on his BBC Ulster uh, show at half 12 on a Thursday afternoon like yeah and somebody would hear it and go oh can I hear that again like it doesn't that doesn't seem to happen anymore you have a beautiful voice father no I, I don't really <laughs> no you do it's gorgeous <laughs> thanks very much I don't think I've ever heard anything more beautiful in all my life go on sing something else now I, I don't normally do requests uh, go on now please okay. I love Paris in the springtime I love Paris in the fall no <laughs> That one so much. No, I was a bit disappointed with that one, to be honest. Yes, uh, thank you, Mrs. Dunn. That, that wasn't very good at all. Yes. I mean, I used to love that song, but that version was catastrophic. Well, I'll tell you what, Mrs. Doyle, I won't book Carnegie Hall just yet. I don't think they'd let you play Carnegie Hall with a voice like that. Ted gets told by Mrs. Doyle that he's got a lovely voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's singing his Ness uh, and Dorma. Uh, so he starts singing Paris in the springtime, and then she fucking slaughters him. <laughs> what a fucking bitch! She says, "Oh, you lovely voice." No, no, actually, you're you're a pile of shite. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Mrs. Doyle. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a uh, it's very vulnerable. You put yourself in a very vulnerable position when you sing to request. Yeah. If you're not a professional, like if you are just you know just a person, and then to be absolutely swathed down like that, it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the that's the joy of being a performer, isn't it? It's. Um... It's really hard to get up and sing to people, and uh, Mrs. Doyle would probably be one of the the great critics. Well, she, she doesn't hold back anyway, uh, <laughs> and she's supposed to she's supposed to have some reverence for the for the priest. Like she's she's the housekeeper. Have you noticed as well, by the way, in this episode, her boil moved down her face a bit different. I did not notice that her boil moved down her face. Well, usually her boil is like just there between her nose and her yeah. lip, whereas in this episode, when at least when she's watching. Ted and Dougal on the play the sort of song for the first time, the really terrible version. <laughs> My lovely horse running through the field. Where are you going with your fetlocks blowing in the wind? Yeah. It seems to just be right actually, on top of her, her lip. <laughs> yes, I did actually notice yeah. that. Oh, when we were watching it earlier, I um, I did notice that her voice was just 
Yeah. Why? Yeah, what was it there for? <laughs> is she sad? Is Possibly. her face just so shocked? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It, 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 everything just drops. Yeah. The reverse base lift. <laughs> or, or, or maybe, well, exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's, uh, maybe L thought she was really worthless <laughs> and, and gave her like a, you know, a, a, a Botox injection, what, what do you call it, collagen? And all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's the craggy island look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get the craggy island look. So who would be modeling that? Would it be Kate Moss or would it be, what's her name? Maybe Naomi Campbell. Possibly, possibly. I was thinking, what do you call her with the eyebrows? Carla Delevingne. Oh yes, yes. I think I think she'd yes. be more at home at Craig Island. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about that. You know, she likes to have fly in high circles. Well, she could get in the helicopter. Do you think she would go there with Taylor Swift and the posse? Well, who's the posse? Has, has Taylor Swift got a posse? Did you not know this? She has a she has a crew, does she? Yeah, she's got a crew. But I think uh, Beyonce's crew, if she actually got a crew together, would beat them hands down. I think that's probably going to be World War Four. We've already got World War Three sort of out with Brexit and all that yeah, there, which yeah. we'll probably mention at some point in this episode. <laughs> but uh, World War Four will just be all the super fans fighting against other super fans, and the Eurovision super fans. Yeah, they will even fight even more. It, that'll be the different theater. That'll be a different front. <laughs> <laughs> Ted was reading the Irish Catholic newspaper, uh, and the headline was the anti-divorce lobby. I think it was cause anti-divorce lobby considered legal case. So it sort of puts this episode again into its time capsule mm-hmm. that Ireland was still reading from a divorce referendum that had only happened one year before that like before that referendum again speaking of referenda uh, before that referendum divorce was illegal you could not get divorced like that, it seems fucking mental now that's only 20 years ago like that's in our lifetime well exactly um you know there was a point where conception was legal in ireland um and at the minute the abortion referendum is completely you know there's people on both sides who are very passionate about yeah, it um yeah. and Thankfully, every time Ireland has had a referendum, it's actually went the right way. Yeah, Especially it, with the gay marriage referendum as well. And that was just last year as well. Yeah, that was just last year. Actually, it was actually, the results came out whilst I was at Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, fantastic. Yes, was, fantastic. Yeah. So Ireland became the first country to legalise gay marriage by popular vote. Yeah. 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 So another reason to be proud of Ireland. It's a, Yeah, it is another reason to be proud of Ireland. Um, it's the best little country to live in, in the world, if you ask me. But Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, the Irish people... Once again, the Euros, the fans have just given themselves like absolutely everything to be proud of. Somebody said the Irish fans are the only fans in the world that have their own fans. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely. Actually, when you see that um, the the Irish joint with the Northern Irish fans, the uh, Irelands, the Irelands. I, I want to make that happen. I want to make that a thing. The Irelands. Just like the, you tried to make Guinea a thing. Guinea is a thing. You go to a pub and if you want a Guinness and another Guinness, you go to the barman and you say, can you give me two yeah. Guinea, please? Well, didn't they win like, the key to the city or some sort of award for being the best band? In, in it, Paris, yes, that's right. Isn't yes, that brilliant? Yeah. So Jiggles joke about Carnegie Hall. How do you get there? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? With a lot of practice. With a lot of practice. Do you know what's about Carnegie Hall? Is anyone, any legendary performances you know of? Well, I think uh, the most infamous performance in Carnegie Hall was um, subject of a recent movie. What was that? Florence Foster Jenkins, The Nightingale from Hell. Uh, please explain. I'm not uh, sure I'm not it was this. a new movie out there a couple of weeks ago with um, Hugh Grant and Meryl Streep. And right. Meryl Streep uh, played Florence Foster Jenkins. So she was a piano virtuoso, which was not explained in the video. Um, she was amazing at piano, child prodigy, and she damaged her hands, so um, she she couldn't perform. But she always was um, like wanted to sing, but her father was like, no, no, you're terrible. You're actually terrible. Um, sort of like Mrs. Doyle. Yes. <laughs> they just give it to her straight. Yeah. yeah. So they um they decided that she was going to um she was like she married some rich man and he died he actually gave her syphilis 
and um, well, all the great music people have had syphilis. So, <laughs> so unprotected sex is a way to musical stardom. Yes, that... musical stardom. But she she fell down Carnegie Hall, and it was uh, like, hang on a second, I just have to go rip up my my Jurexes. <laughs> <laughs> so she wanted to um, sing Carnegie Hall, and she did. She filled it out, and she was terrible. But you know, they um, don't be afraid to fail. Is that the moral? Yeah, is it? Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, now that you've mentioned the story, I think I do actually know that, but there's actually two films coming out this year about the exact same thing. Yes, there's another um, one coming out. I don't know anything about that one, but um, I don't I know think it's got two. as much star power, but it's yeah. another one of Florence Foster Jenkins, I don't know. Yeah. So there's hope for me yet, and then, you know, there's hope for Dougal, and maybe even Ted. Well, we'll see. Well, they did get their moment in the sun. They yeah. got their time on the stage. I just can't wait. What time is it now? Half past one. Half one? And the competition is on in... May. Yeah. <laughs> Ted, you know they're looking for entries for this year's competition. Are they? Yeah. Dougal? Why don't we... Dougal? Ah, come on, Ted. Dougal? Imagine if we won. We'd be famous, like, like Nelson Mandela and his mad wife. <laughs> Dougal reckons it could be famous, like Nelson Mandela and his mad wife. <laughs> 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 that also, by the way, brought up the divorce thing, because... The, Nelson Mandela and Winnie Mandela had literally just divorced on the 19th of March 96. This episode aired on April 96, so it was only weeks ahead of this. Now, they probably filmed it ahead of that, but I'm sure the news would have been... Mm. They would have, like, the finalisation of the divorce was on the 19th of March. I'm sure the fact that they were getting divorced was was already big news. Like So, uh, yeah, crazy. It's a, it's a crazy world we live in, but uh, we're yeah. weathering the storm. Yeah. We're weathering the storm. <laughs> Uh, and that's another, again, like I said, another late great Nelson Mandela. Too many of them in this episode. But Ted says they, they could never they could never aspire to be the great songwriters like Cole Porter. He was famous for Kiss Me Kids. And he, he actually won the first Tony Award for the best musical. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, there you I go. That's your bit of trivia from myself then. Uh, for uh, I think that was Kiss Me Kid. George and Ira Gershwin, who, of course, is famous for uh, Rhapsody in Blue. Rhapsody in w- Wonderful piece of classical music. One of the very, I think it's one of the first marriages of classical and jazz. Yeah, I think um, I think Rhapsody in Blue was Rhapsody in Blue was um, was an amazing piece of music, and I actually just watched it in London there about oh, really? last year. Yeah, I watched um, Rhapsody in Blue, and it was it was it was spectacular. I can't really. Who, where was it? The Barbican or something? Did it perform? It like, was in Islington. Yeah. Okay. Right. And um, it was it was just such a spectacular performance, and they actually had a children's choir as well singing. Um, as a side piece, but you know, it was just it was an amazing performance. Right, was, okay, was brilliant. brilliant. Uh, and the other great songwriter he mentioned was Christy Berg. Well, Christy Berg, you gotta love Christy Berg. Well, it, it's hard to. Leading in red. Your harmonies are right there. Your harmonies are right. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, it's <laughs> no, my I harmonies. Think it, I think it was me. It was me. I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> I'm always harmonizing because I can never sing in tune. Yeah, I see. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, I do actually have trouble. Like, happy birthday gives me real trouble. It actually recently just went out of patent in Europe a couple of days ago, did it? Well, there was a big court case in America about it. Mm. Uh, basically, for listeners, it's, uh, there was always this rumour going around in filmmaking that you couldn't use happy birthday because you had to pay royalties to this family, and that was true. They would, would mm-hmm. uh, aggressively seek any payments if you used it on a recording. There I, was a 30 Rock episode about it, I think. Was there? I haven't yeah, seen that. Yeah. Uh, which I don't really get because, A... How the fuck is it not just falling out of copyright in the first place? B, how can you enforce that? Uh, mm-hmm. like, happy birthday has been going since about 18, 1890 or something. Like it should be well out of copyright by this stage, and the estate should have been, you know, should have been finished. But somebody actually challenged it and brought it to 
I think it was the American Supreme Court who finally said, look, you're, you're talking about your arts. You can't actually prove you own this song. Yeah. Uh, never mind uh, the fact that it's, it should have been out of copyright about 40 years ago. So that's uh, that's a big deal in the film and music industry. It's happy birthday. Yeah, so now, now they don't have to use that. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Lisa, it's your, your birthday. birthday. <laughs> Fuck, we're getting all singing song here. Exactly. It's, it's, like, it's like an Irish Christmas or something. <laughs> oh, it's like um, it's like sitting down pre Eurovision drinks. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. Uh, which Ted seems to love as well. Well, actually, Jack. I can just imagine Jack at the Eurovision Song Contest. It would be a very interesting thing to see. Well, he, he hopped on the hopped on the, the board with the Norwegian, the successful, yeah. or sorry, Belgian uh, crew. <laughs> he jumped, jumped on their bandwagon very, very quickly, didn't he? When yeah. they realised that his entry was uh, was a sinking ship. <laughs> but then we meet Dick Byrne. He's, it's only his second appearance. Uh, Dick Byrne. I thought he was actually in a lot more. Hello, Father Ted Crilly. Hello, Dick Byrne here. Dick. Well, Ted, are you entering this year? What? You're a song 96. <laughs> the young fellow's been driven mad here with it. Anyway, we thought we'd enter it this year. Why don't you give it a go as well? I'm sure you'd win it, Ted. Well, thanks very much. If all the other contestants were killed, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'd do just as well as you would. No, you wouldn't. Yes, we 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 would. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. No, you wouldn't times a thousand. Yes, Jinx, no comebacks. Dougal, get the guitar. I thought... I said get the guitar! Dick Byrne challenged him to enter the Eurovision. It's weird that Dougal came up with this idea and then also... On uh, Rugged Island, Dick Byrne and and uh, etc. come up with the idea to enter Eurovision, or Eurosong, excuse me, Eurovision.tm. Yeah, <laughs> it really inspires Ted to get on board then with the idea of getting the song going. Get the guitar, Dougal. <laughs> get the guitar. Well, I think the both of them are just nemesis. Yes. Or are they nemesi? Let's not get into that. Okay. There's too um, many. Yeah. Oh, we'll be here all day. <laughs> so they're um, yeah. I think the both characters are exactly opposite. You know, Craig Island. Rugged Island, you know, it's just. Well, they're exact opposite by being the exact same. They're they're literally butting heads at yeah, every yeah. opportunity. Like, do you ever do you ever introduce friends who you think would get on like a house on fire because they have so much in common? It's like, oh, you you, you love all this stuff, and you, you actually introduce them, and the two of them just absolutely butt heads. They could just hate each other yeah, from the get go. They do because they're like, no, that's my thing. I, I liked such and such cult fifties um, book before you did. Uh, yeah, that, that has happened to me so many times, and we, you know it becomes so awkward then because you want to have a good night out with friend A and also a good night out with friend B. You think you get A and B together, you've got brilliant night out. Uh, it just no. doesn't work sometimes. Yeah, people A. Eh? Some people just like being the center of attention, unlike me. But uh, <laughs> you know, I've never yet met someone like me. Maybe I need to move to Rugged Island. Possibly, yes, possibly. I'm sure I'm sure there is. There's a, a Divine Marty somewhere to go with your Marty Divine. I'm, I'm sure there is. There's no James McNespy, though. Uh, is there a McNespy James? Well, uh, McNespy, there's a Ryan McNespy plays football for Monaghan now. He's actually, that's becoming really weird hearing the word McNespy on the radio and TV so often and people actually pronouncing it right. Well, that's true. That yeah. is true. Like whenever uh, whenever people see my name written down, they assume it's McCannisby or. Well, you know, we've also got <laughs> Councillor Noma. So. Who's Councillor Noma? Sorsha McNespy. Who's that? Never heard of her. Yes, of course, that is my sister. <laughs> uh, when she said Councillor, I, I thought you meant that. For some reason, my head went to Councillors and, you know, counselling between two marriage counsellors <laughs> or something like I was like, who's that? And why are they so <laughs> No, my sister, who's on the Oma District Council, of course. Yeah. 
But we hear the My Lovely Horse, we hear version one. Well, we hear the, we actually go into the songwriting process first. Anyway, we're not moving from here until we finish the song. Ready? Ready, Ted, let's do it. <laughs> Jungle, don't take it so seriously. It, it, it's, it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> just play the f***ing note. <laughs> First one. No, not the f***ing first one! The f***ing first one's already f***ing down! Just play the f***ing notes of playing earlier! I've been playing the f***ing first one! We have the f***ing first one! So, I just... Just play the f***ing notes of playing there! The you were just f***ing doing! Play the f***ing notes! Now you recognise the uh, the frustrations of uh, of a songwriter hitting mental into the mental block there. I do. I kind of think you know when you're writing a song, there is the biggest question of all time: Do we write lyrics first? Do we write music first? Mm. Well, sometimes you write the music, sometimes you write the lyrics, sometimes the music doesn't match lyrics, and then you have to start from all over again. You wouldn't, you wouldn't start. You wouldn't start from scratch again, would you? Uh I've 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 put stuff on the back burner and started again. Right. Okay. Like right. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't continue starting flogging a song the whole time. I would actually just like put that away. Let's maybe, start something new. Maybe that's what you need, like to do sometimes. Like I, I, I don't know your your songwriting process or anything, but like surely if you have something and it's seventy five percent there, and just taking so much work to actually marry the lyrics and the and the melody, it might just be just you know another few hammers, uh, and just keep keep hammering at it and actually just you know grinding at it until you finally get ding yeah I kind of think uh, that that does work sometimes if you've got a deadline and you have to meet the deadline then you just have to have to do it yeah. but I think it's better for the creative process to kind of put it away and come back to it because you get fresh air fresh headspace and you know I have went out you know I've had some deadlines for you anywhere like I need to get this done I need to get this done so I'm like right ran out of cigarettes <clears throat> ran out of cigarettes ran out of beer Where's the nearest 24 hour shop? Like Google Maps. And this is when I was in London. I was like, right, there must be one too far away. One and a half miles I walked. And I smoked Just like a train on the way in and smoked like a train on the way back and got back in my room and started with my wee Casio keyboard, like Dougal. I'm going, do, 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 Because, you know, you always start with a pre made backing track. Well, <laughs> it gives you ideas. Exactly, so, you know, exactly. They, I think they were ahead of their time there, or they were definitely, their finger was on the pulse. Yeah, well, the Casio keyboard and its uh, little, uh, its little play mode that you have there, it's, it definitely definitely was brought up in head. Like, it's just a little. <laughs> and it's, I'd, be surprised, I'd say you'd be surprised how many songs actually started with something like that well actually a really interesting fact is logic pro is like the um is the main songwriting software for a lot of people and a pre-made loop that was on it is actually the uh beat to rihanna's umbrella yeah yeah so, you well know. every i mean uh, countless rock bands have started off with a simple beat that the drummers come up with like it's all in the process it's all in the process so Ted and Dougal have definitely got the process down yeah. cigarettes drink <laughs> arguing shouting just they missed out the heroin oh yeah well you don't want to, you don't want to get into that I mean that probably would turn them into you know proper artists but then they'd be dead before the well, end of the episode true. So. and they are priests so it would probably be very bad for them <laughs> well true yeah true they could put stick it in the holy water or something yeah, you know get hide it some yeah, way yeah in yeah. fact I'd say if, if you want to smuggle drugs into a country or anything anywhere 
Get the priest to do it. LSD communion. That's yes. all you need. Yeah. Melts on the tongue. You're not allowed to chew it. Brilliant. Or even just make tabs <laughs> out of it. Just, just a, wee, a few wee MD onto the communion. And the ultra wine. That could be anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... Yeah, the songwriting process. You say you say you go for the beer. I call that ideas juice. Uh, well, you know, you're right. You're <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, I, I've been most productive in the corner of a Weatherspoons. Any different just different cities, different parts of London, different parts of Belfast and stuff. In the Weatherspoons, find the quietest corner. Just take my little two pound fifty eel, and that's where I've done my most productive writing. So exactly, I've done the exact same thing. I remember one time I was going to uni and it was cancelled, so I decided I was going to go to the pub. So I sat in the pub and I was like, right, have a beer. Weatherspins as well, actually. You know, £1.50, £2 yeah. for a drink, it's great. And why always have a business model like didn't have an idea, so I read a book. I read a whole book, which came free in Weatherspins, and I got so many pulled great... it off one of the shelves? Yeah, yeah pulled it off one of the shelves and wrote um, wrote a song about one of the characters. So Weatherspins is very good about... Um, it's brilliant, yeah. And, well, I was about to go into... Weatherspoons like maintaining the history of the building they're in, but I'll not I'll not go into Weatherspoons. I don't really like them at the minute because they were pro Brexit. They were pro Brexit, yeah, you know. So fuck those bastards. <laughs> 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 but uh, Dougal wants to get inspiration from different types of uh, music, uh, rather than just the you know, traditional sort of guitar guitar singer. So he, he suggests uh, he just lyrics like I want to rub my fingers through your hair through your tail, and I want to I want to hold you tight, and I want to make. <laughs> so tell us to pull him back from actually being in love with the horse. Uh, and also he goes take this uh, lump of sugar baby you know you want it it's like something them rapper guys would do well ex- you know exactly I think that's the best thing about the songwriting process I remember the first song I ever wrote when I was like 15 years old and I entered into the 2FM contest it didn't get very far did you get to top 11 or something was it not that one no this was the year before oh okay right. this was the year before and um, I wrote you smiled and eased the pain you laughed and stopped the rain you know, it was just like complete but that's, cheese, but cheese. That's that's a decent enough lyric. I think maybe back in the nineties it would actually work quite well, yeah. but nowadays it doesn't really work. It's not edgy enough. You need more edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second thing you go to in the songwriting process is rap because rap you can really let all your like the shit out. You know yeah. what I mean? You can really go, yeah, uh, busting hoes, busting hoes. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so Ted says you don't want to be going, doing it like ICT or Scoopy Scoopy Dog Dog. <laughs> Uh, do you not think Poopy Scoopy Dog Dog would have been a better line there? I don't think Poopy, uh, Pooper Scoopers were around back then, but uh, that would have been a better. Pooper Scoopers are a reasonably new thing, are they not? I'm not sure, but maybe we should do um, a Lucas and kind of like reimagine the whole series and put in new references and mobile phones instead of lightsabers, etc. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Lucas did. <laughs> uh, but Scoopy Scoopy Dog Dog, I bet you still uh, spelled it with D O G G. Probably. Probably. I wonder, would it be Scoop? <laughs> Dog. Scoop. Dog. Uh, but yeah, they, they fall into their creative differences very, very quickly. Um, is that a good musical partnership, would it? Well, exactly, the Lennon McCartney thing. It's, or it's, is it McCartney and Lennon? It's Lennon McCartney. Um, but I think with uh, the songs that McCartney wrote, it's now McCartney and Lennon. I don't know. Yeah, but w- which ones? That, see, it's all the. There's only like three or what four of the first, good ones. the first egg or the chicken? Well, what about Tarson, McCartney, Lennon? How about how about about that? How about George gets his fucking well, exactly, day in the sun because exactly. he was actually the best songwriter of the three of them. I think, like he, he was on a higher hit rate. Yeah. He, he uh, his sort of hits to duds ratio is 
say 10 to 0 is 100% well you can't get any worse than Step Into Christmas it's one of my worst Christmas songs that's Elton John oh which one am I talking about <laughs> uh, yeah, the, which one the, the, the McCartney Paul McCartney, the Paul McCartney one. Oh, 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 yeah that oh, one oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. What, what are you on about that's a great little uh, intro no what's that's, I like that one Anyway, Ethan brought Michael Jackson down. With the Ebony and Ivory, oh. which has already showed up in the show, by the way. Paul oh, yeah. yeah, Graham Norton was singing that as well. A song I've never heard and still have not heard yet. He incidentally is now the host of the Eurovision Song Contest in UK exactly. TV. It has come full circle now, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which, it, it is mental when you think about it. Like that, It's uh, a prophecy. Yeah. I mean, when, when we were discussing Graham Norton, none of them had seen... Graham Norton's late night chat show. Do you remember that show? Uh, so great, so Graham so Norton. So Graham Norton. Do you remember the content of it? Like it was oh, outrageous. It was, like it was outrageous. It was something completely. It was again something completely different that yeah. really worked. Um, and it was it was brilliant. Like, do you remember Madame Peepy and? Yeah. <laughs> like that was a that was a webcam model of somebody who was just peeing on command, basically. Yeah. Like, and I remember Carrie Fisher went on the show one time and she actually loved it and kept coming back because she could not believe that this was allowed on TV. She really? says, you can swear on TV. And she oh, was, well, in yeah. America, you can't even well, swear on TV. Can, never, over here, yeah. But, but it, I loved it. I loved it. was so grand, Martin. It was just, that was like, the, that was, the, was it the 90s? It was, it was the, the 90s. It the tail end of the 90s, yeah. 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 Uh, and do you remember I had Andrea Corr on one time? I just remember this. And he had found uh, a website that was selling... Uh, you know recorders like musical recorders yeah uh, shaped like dicks <laughs> and he wanted her to play it uh, but Andrea Corr very, very wisely decided not to play it she, she, well she refused I think it was because she's a bit uh, I would imagine she's very prudish would you imagine that I wouldn't say she's prudish you know she's got an image to protect and a brand and she's very big in America she didn't want to Sinead O'Connor it did she <laughs> well yeah exactly I'd say there was also that element to it that she was trying to protect her image because uh, if somebody got a screenshot of Andrea Corr with yeah. like a massive penis near her mouth like it would go everywhere and probably would uh, destroy her career but I do think she is like I do think they're very clean cut and very not uh, no sex before marriage but like you know no, maybe we no need a referendum in that in Ireland to <laughs> see what actually people actually think <laughs> or just have a poll yeah so do you ever get the ride <laughs> but I, 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 I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm completely speculating I have no idea about Andrea Corr but I imagine she's no sex before the fifth date at least like sort of during well you know that's not really necessarily a bad thing sometimes is it <laughs> well it's, it's just different, different strokes for different folks but yeah that was Graham Norton's uh, Graham Norton's input into, into society and now he's the face of Eurovision for actually uh, three years ago when I went to Eurovision Graham Norton was actually on the plane that I was on so uh, ah, yeah, yeah. he was really grumpy he wasn't chatting in any way he wasn't was chatting he anyone of, out of his arse was he uh, no this is on the way there so oh, well so I hope so he should be yeah, okay. Let's do a Terry. Do yeah. a Terry, get drunk in the show. Well, I was about to mention that the two faces of the Eurovision for the UK have both been Irishmen. Uh, yeah, they've both been Irishmen and um, they're doing a great job. Well, <laughs> I it... think it's because um, the Irish sense of humour is is warm but cutting. It's cutting but warm. So, yeah. like, actually, they watch the Eurovision Song Contest and they watch it just, this is an amazing contest, this is an amazing contest. It doesn't really, doesn't really work. It doesn't really cut in our audience, especially nowadays with the... the outlandish entries some people are putting in but I think having that warm humour about it not derailing the contest not not poking fun at the contest but having just you know a couple of wee ribs at it is, yeah, and like, it, it does make the show it does make the show and I've, I've watched Eurovision in like many different countries and you know there isn't that sense of fun there so there isn't is it much more uh, sincere is it or? yeah it's much more sincere it's much more but those are the countries that are winning isn't it 
Um, well, yeah, Sweden is winning, and they're putting a lot of effort but in. Sweden's Sweden's uh, musical output has been phenomenal for a country its size. Oh, come on, you've got Max Martin there. You you know. Well, you have to explain who Max Martin is. But you've got ABBA, you've got Roxette, you've got uh, Aqua. Aqua, you like. And you know they're not just cheesy so they're not. It's not just barbecue. Aqua had some brilliant songs. Well, Aqua was a brilliant band yeah. actually. And Stanley Aqua was also a pre. It was a mid-time show in Sweden after right. Sweden won, and I think it was ninety-seven. They were on in ninety-eight, and they were absolutely amazing. They like hit it out of the park, completely hit it out of the park. And this year, uh, Justin Timberlake was the mid-time show, not from Europe. Like, why are we having him here? Why are we having him here? The reason why they had him there was because Max Martin, who's a Swedish producer, songwriter, he wrote that song. What, what song was it? Dance, 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 dance. It's, 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 it's latest single. Okay, but right, also, so. like, Max Martin has written some of the biggest hits in the world. He's written um, We're Never Getting Back Together for Taylor Swift. He's written Oops, I Did It Again. Um, Hit Me Baby One More Time. You know, he's written... He's written monster hits, yeah, like, the, the repeatedly. Nin- yeah. yeah, the 90s hits, all the, all them Backstreet Boy songs. And, and, you know, he came back in 2002 with um, Since You Be Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Like, you know, he's he's no small he's no small fish in the songwriting right, circles. Yeah, so and if I could have a career like him, it would be, he, he, it would be he's pretty your, good. He's your actual hero. Like, you would love to emulate him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, Max Martin is, I would say, arguably one of the greatest songwriters in the world. Um, some people might say, oh, he's got no, um, he's not telling a story or whatever. But, you know what? He's, he's talented. He's he. It gives people what they want, and I think that's what songwriting well, is all about. He writes a pop song and he writes it well. Yeah. Well, Father Dick Byrne felt that uh, yeah the the decision making process about uh, coming up with the the winner for the song for Ireland was a bit skewed or a bit at least a bit preordained. Yeah. And you uh, this basically his accusation was that they were falsely or they were purposely picking the worst entry so they wouldn't win. And you, this is actually based on a bit of history. I think yes, that is definitely definitely the case. Like RT was going bankrupt um, with hosting the Eurovision Song Contest so much they won it um, two years in a row. They won it in like nineteen eighty seven, and you know they just could not afford the contest anymore. It wasn't like nowadays where the EBU pays for the contest, and you know it's it's a lot cheaper for you to to make it. Um, and I think this is why that happened, but. RT was going bankrupt in 1994. They were like, right, let's enter a song. So they entered Rock and Roll Kids by Charlie McGadigan. Um, who, was, who was like this old man with a guitar. Yeah, there was, yeah, it was two old men with a guitar sitting down playing the song Rock and Roll Kids. It's one of my favorite Eurovision songs ever. Um, but they thought it's not going to do It's not going to do well. It's not going to do well. Like we're not using the orchestra because back in those days they had the orchestra. But because it was something completely different it it blew everything out of the water and it won it, it completely won and that was the year that your uh, river dance was on as well um so what what is it about that it costs so much like it you know if you're hosting a contest with so many different countries coming to the contest you know and you it's don't a, have to pay the host like you don't have to pay the host but you have to pay to you have to broadcast this out over how many different countries? Like sure 38, con- 38 countries. And you know, like nowadays it's a lot more expensive, obviously, um, but it's a very expensive contest to hold. Right, okay. So it's, it was actually to its own detriment that it was actually winning all the time? Yeah, <laughs> well. it was to its own detriment, but you know, we got, we got national still. pride. But uh, yeah, the Rock and Roll Kids song actually just blew everything out of the water because it was the first song. We just had two old men t- singing about like the glory days in the 60s. 
we've mentioned a, a few of the rock and roll cliches that the the songwriting team of Ted and Dougal had to had to deal with. Obviously, the creative differences, uh, the Lennon McCartney thing. They also had to, <laughs> they also had to go in front of their own little X Factor uh, audition type process in front of uh, Ted or Jack and Mrs <laughs> Dougal. And Jack was much more uh, again. He's very efficient with his messages, so he just pulled out a shotgun, a live a, f- a live loaded shotgun, <laughs> by the way, which he seems to have at his beck and call anytime he wants to, and blew apart his guitar. Just like the Second Amendment says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's have arms. Let's have, have arms. Right to bear arms. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the smashing guitars, massive rock and roll police. Well, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, the Who was, I think, the first one to sort of make a make a name for themselves doing it. But Jimi Hendrix uh, destroyed his guitar on yeah, stage. Yeah. At, Did he not light one on fire at one stage? That was as it. Well? Yes. Continue to play it or something like. But he was, he was lightly in the midst of a serious acid trip, uh, and yet still he was able to freaking play this thing. Yeah. And it was like, he was a lot of the time he was playing a right hand guitar upside down. Like his just just oh, his yes, natural musicianship yeah, was yeah. absolutely amazing. But he, yeah, he set this guitar on fire light at the Fillmore East, I think. Uh, and yeah, he tried to play it then, and then he started playing it with his teeth and yeah. it behind his head and playing it like that. And he had some of that communion. Yeah, yeah, he had, yeah, exactly. He had uh, the Craig Allen special. <laughs> uh, and uh, Muse, for early part of their career, were, went around smashing the guitars. They don't do it anymore. They're much more stick and uh, polished than more that. Professional, yeah. Well, their their stage shows now are, are like you know massive, you know big events like they, they're the only band sort of trying to keep up with the U2 mm. in stage performance and stuff but uh, yeah so it's, it's the sort of thing that's gone out of style big time but uh, smashing guitars I think so it should bring back smashing guitars <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other rock and roll cliche is that the Norwegian band that uh, Dougal had uh, the record of all died in a plane crash really the, yes uh, so there's been quite a few plane crashes in rock and roll history uh, Leonard Skinner I believe were in one um, Buddy Holly Buddy Holly of course and the big bopper and uh, yeah, the day the music died, like it's there's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's something about playing like and Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist Randy Rhodes died in a plane crash as well. Uh, so there's something about rock and rollers getting on planes it seems to be seems to be a toxic combination. <laughs> well, maybe it's to do with the fact that they aren't actual proper planes. <laughs> well, yeah, they usually <laughs> yeah. like this. Super they're doing coach yeah. in the back of EasyJet, and yeah. that's the last lot of we're going to die. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're using these uh, tin pot things that have been sort of glued together and. <laughs> At least, well, John Travolta could be flying them. Apparently, he's a very accomplished pilot at this point. Well, so. this is good. Maybe yeah. Demi Lovato could sneak on with some of her cocaine that she usually does when she's on a, yeah, on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, so Dougal's band were called the Lynn Hugen and the Hugen... I fucking can't read my writing. And the Hugen Markers... Or the Huguenots, uh, which is a play. Uh, I found this out on Wikipedia. A play on the Huguenots, which were a, a, a brand of early Protestantism. So there was a little, a little joke in there uh, about religion that very few people would have got, and I wouldn't, I didn't even get it. Like no, I didn't, uh, I didn't know. But as you say, they came fifth in the song for Norway in nineteen seventy five. So he's a proper Eurovision hipster. Like he doesn't just go for the mainstream, you know, like a satellite. That's that's just too mainstream. all the way around you. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he doesn't go for the uh, he doesn't go for the mainstream well, stuff. Exactly. He, he goes right he, and deep, you know. This he is, liked it before it was cool. This is how on mainstream Dougal is: is the fact that he picks the country with the worst record in Eurovision, with the most nil point, and um, yeah, he picks a song that came fifth in their national contest. Now that is what you call a Eurovision lover. Yeah. I yeah. can just imagine him sitting on a plane beside him. Talking about Eurovision, <laughs> I was like, going, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I love Eurovision. Well, and you, 
you don't. Oh, we're speaking of planes. You don't want to get on a plane with Dougal because, as we'll find out in a few <laughs> yes. episodes, uh, he has trouble with the airplanes as well. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so it's. I mean, his entire record collection is just uh, really obscure Eurovision. Yes, because exactly. the record collection, of course, is one record. Um, but Ted's Ted's thoughts turn to theft very very quickly. He immediately comes up with, "Hmm, I like this tune. Do you reckon I could rip it off?" Well, doesn't Ted thoughts always come up about with yeah. theft? He, 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 exactly. Yeah, he's very. He's you know, he's, and if he didn't bother putting that collar on at one point in his life, he could have been a master criminal. He could have. He could have. Because you know, the only thing that stopped him getting away with that lured with that uh, money resting <laughs> his account is the fact that people were actually looking to see where that money was coming, where it's going from. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so <laughs> see, Ted says, "Oh, I don't think anyone's heard this," and Dougal says, "Well, it's the first time I'm hearing this." So he doesn't actually listen to his B sides. Yeah. Do you listen to B sides much? I do listen to the B-sides. Um, I actually bought, I think the first tape that I bought myself was uh, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Yeah, yeah. Who actually won the Eurovision Song Contest in 1988 with New Party Pants and One. For Belgium? Uh, for Switzerland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, the, the B-side in that was actually, I like the song far better than My Heart Will Go On, but... Um, well, bands like Oasis and The Smiths put some of their best songs on the B-sides. Noel Gallagher sort of had his head up as an arse. He was like, uh, some of his best songs, like Talk Tonight, Master Plan, and the theme, actually, for the Royal Family uh, mm-hmm. was a Oasis B-side. And he was like, oh, it's all right, try to write bad songs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was his attitude in the mid-90s, of course, by the mid-2000s. He was like, can I get them songs back? I need to fucking fill an album here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, they were in, uh, Ted and Dougal were in bed, and they were both reading quite uh, iconic musical literature. Did you notice what it was? I did not notice what it was. Dougal was reading Smash Hits and Ted yeah. was reading NME. Ah. Do you ever uh, Smash Hits? I, I, do you know what? I remember my mum used to work in a news agent and she used to, you know, if she was working late, she would come up with a Smash Hits for me. Oh, very good. Yeah, I know. I had the stickers and everything, you know, you a Boyzone and... Um, you, my sister like, used to get it and I would only, I would just skip right past the, you know, the lyrics pages and see if there's any good lyrics. Because that was the way you had to get lyrics back in the day. You couldn't just fly onto A to Z lyrics.com. Like, yeah, you had you, to actually wait for the magazine to print yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, at the stickers, you say, like, we, we had, uh, we, we had, like, a whole, like, desk at home just covered with, like, Prodigy stickers. Like, there were, like, Keith Flint was, like, this madman who had this spiky punk hair that, you know, was the absolute outrageous pop thing. And it was just everywhere. <laughs> Scary Keith Flint. And, like, little, like, you know, memes, almost before memes were just in, in these stickers, like, yeah, it was it was odd how how we used to digest media. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was probably better though. It probably was better. You know, you had to wait for things. You didn't. Yeah. You, know, you didn't have overload of information. Well, when it, the first concert was an Oasis concert in Lansdowne Road when I was fourteen, and I went out oh. the next day and bought. Well, I had to wait till the next week till the Wednesday. The concert was on Friday. I had to wait till the Wednesday to get the Enemy and the Melody Maker. The Melody Maker's a lit great. The by Melody there. Maker, yeah. Uh, and Ted and Dougal, they, do you ever get this? And I'm sure you do in the creative industry. You've you're so, you've got something you're really really excited about. Uh, you've you've made something like I've made a few plays. You made a few songs, and you're already thinking, right? I'm gonna what I'm gonna say when I get up on the Oscar stage, and what, what you're gonna say when you get up to collect your awards. They're already thinking the oblig the obligatory video. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so they already dreamt up this video uh, of my lovely horse, and it is the first time we hear the actual version that they intended to put on. Mm-hmm.
to lose that sax solo it was it has gone down now it's one of the most famous songs in Ireland like it's of the last 20 years something definitely yeah I, I think so I think I think the last um, St Patrick's Day me and my friend Stephanie just like we're sitting in London strumming my ukulele going my lovely horse running through the fields <laughs> it is it's one of, I think it's one of the best songs of um, of, of sitcom history yes yeah. it is it's brilliant and People love it. Mm -hmm. My lovely, lovely, lovely horse. My, My lovely horse. And uh, yeah, that, that was written by Neil Hannon of the Divine Comedy, mm -hmm. and you know he, he's a, he is a brilliant pop songwriter. Yeah, he is yeah. absolutely brilliant. And, like, and again, I go back to you know back in the nineties, you had Neil Hannon was having top ten hits. You had yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Light and Seas were having top ten hits. You had Beautiful Sight were having top ten hits mm -hmm. because these were just guys who could write pop songs and they were getting onto the radio and people were responding with the like buying the records like yeah i think ireland has got like a massive tradition with music and um you know that that tradition of people just sitting in the house singing a song because they were too poor to have a tv yeah um and you know that's what got families together and i think that is you know that's why ireland was so good at the eurovision song contest because they had such a tra tradition of storytelling and it's not just about writing music it's like telling a story through a song conveying emotion through a song because everyone knows irish people are a bit you know they're not very good with their emotions yeah. so they do they do do it with their art and they do do it with their songs and this is why we've got the best poets and and for for an island that's, for an island that's just so small we've Really, yeah, our cultural imprint on the planet has been ridiculous. Like, yes, it, it makes me love being Irish. Is our yeah. cultural impact on yeah. you know, as I say, poetry, art, music, particularly, yeah, and sport as well. The fact that we can compete, well, the Euros, we had a you know, quite a decent uh, showing, yeah, rugby, and then to inventing two sports and filling out 80,000 seater stadiums with them, yeah, played by amateurs. Like, it's yes, uh, but the, the music videos, the blue sequence jackets. Uh, and the swimming pool with the swimming pool honeys in it. So they were clearly had their uh, their R and B or their hip hop influences <laughs> by getting the you know the bikini girls. It it, it looks like very bad gay club early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're worried that they might might not be taken too seriously because they're priests. But uh, as Ted has, has told us, Father Benny Cake uh, had a big hit called Vienna. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we've learned, of course, that, that is Ultravox and. Yes. Now, I did notice when they uh, when they came back from the ad break, they showed a picture of where the Euro song or the song for Ireland uh, Heat was going to be was going to be performed. It was a very grandiose building. Well, you know, Eurovision is big business in yeah. Ireland. You know, and this is nineteen ninety six. Once, one, three years in a row, didn't win ninety five. What's going to happen in ninety six? Are we going to win? Should well, we? We should win. Should well, the win? public voters won five years in a row, as Ted has said. Well. Uh, but uh, as the announcer said, it was in the Theatre Royal. Mm -hmm. uh, there is actually a Theatre Royal in Waterford and very serendipitously actually 
the man who plays Father Cyril Macduff is in a play in it this week ah. for the rest of the month. So if you're in Waterford, go down to the Theatre Royal and check out uh, Cyril Macduff. Actually, you know, treading the boards. But yeah, so we've introduced to Charles Hedges and Mr. Fred Wickwood, Rickwood, the producer and presenter of the year song for Ireland. Mm-hmm. I thought you did a brilliant job presenting last year's show. Oh well, that's the business, like you know what I mean. In and out of doors, like in video. Sorry. Like the business, like in and out of doors and giddy up. Ah, yes! <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, shall we end? Didn't shave a bullock. Mmm, 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 mmm. So, Mr. Fred Rickwood, he's, he's much better when he gets on stage than he is in person, isn't he? He definitely is. Um, he's a bit of a drunkard, isn't he? Um, he? He seems that way, but he doesn't actually seem to drink. Like, But he's he, like he, he doesn't have a drink in his hand or anything. He's just really, really slurry. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's just punch drunk. Maybe he's an old boxer or something. Maybe he is. Um, but maybe it's again. It's a it's a little nod to Terry Wogan when he used to get drunk massively during the Eurovision Song Contest. During the actual yes, presentation. Yeah, he actually said um, one of the the biggest tips that he gave Graham Norton when he took over was like, do not drink until song ten. <laughs> okay, he had a, he had, a, he had a point at which yes. it, was, it was okay then. Yeah. Uh, but there's a few lines I want to try and I want to try and uh, translate them as best I can. So. It's a business life, in and out, a bit of giddy up, you know. So I think what he was saying was, that's the business like, in and out, a bit of giddy up. So what I think he was trying to say was, it's a tough industry with a very fast turnaround. You have to be ready to move at any moment. This was in response to Ted saying uh, he's a real professional. He, he's, uh, he loved him last year's show. Also could be a little joke about my lovely horse. Uh, well, possibly, yeah, possibly. Giddy up. Giddy up, anyway, giddy up, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm away, so I am sh- uh, she have a bollock. I think she have a bug. It is is just a you know good luck to you sort of uh, (laughs) phrase in certain parts of Ireland. But it took me years. I've only discovered that tonight when I was watching. I have never, never. (laughs) Wait, I'm she have a bug. And then uh, it comes back later on in the episode, and uh, uh, yeah, Ted's he's about to go on stage. Good luck tonight, Fred. Oh yeah, sure. We'll see you later on. We'll be fine. Oh yeah, sure. We'll find out later on, and we'll see you sure. So it. He actually is talking quite explosively, and then but when, he's not really talking coherently. Well, not really, no. <laughs> but what he's saying, uh, to be honest, I think he's just rattling out words because when uh, Father Dick Byrne uh, protests that their entry wasn't taken seriously. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, there was the order of a bucket and thrown flying. Your your day hasn't happened. There was a spade the whole way. There was a, there was a bucket, the throwing, the flying. There was a spade on top, and you were there the whole way. He says something to that effect. What I think it was, was there was the bucket, the throwing, the flying, there was a spade on top, and you were there the whole way. So I think he was actually lambasting Dick Byrne about their, you know, over, overzealous stage over work. Overproduction, yes. overproduction. You know, if this was 2017, then, you know, that might win. But I have to give it, uh, you know, Dick Byrne should not be in the Eurovision Song Contest, and the biggest reason why he shouldn't is because he broke the rules. Of- and they have a few celebrations, uh, Ted and... Tendugal when they mysteriously win mm-hmm, possibly mm-hmm. because it's costing too much to stage yeah maybe as we did discuss earlier that RTE was kind of you know down on their luck in 1996 but actually in 1996 Ireland actually won again so <laughs> that actually yeah. the, the comedy gold of the whole well yes after this episode aired about three weeks well about yeah about three or four weeks later Ireland won again with Ireland voice. won again with the voice Eamon Quinn one of my favourite Eurovision songs see as I, can't, I can't call that to mind what was that going like I am the voice in the wind and the pouring yes, rain I course, am yeah. the voice of your hunger and pain which the Celtic women do a mean version of actually well uh, you bring up the Celtic women uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago 
uh, one of our contributors mentioned that Declan Lenny had directed a, a concert movie of the Celtic Woman. Ah, and direct- the voice is actually in that, I think, aren't, isn't it? Possibly, yes. but he, he actually, Declan Lenny, by the way, director of Father Ted, mm-hmm. uh, he actually directed the 1988 Eurovision as well. The 1988 Eurovision? Yeah. Ah. Which is, like, that was a real uh, surprise bit of trivia yeah, for us. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, go Declan. He's, he's got serious directing chops then. He does, yeah. definitely. Like, you know, it's no, it's no mean fate to direct completely different things, you know. Yeah. Going that, into your vision. a different discipline, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then going to, like, scripted sitcom. Yeah. And do such a fucking wonderful job as he has done. Exactly. But maybe again, it's write what you know. You know, yeah. or direct what you know. Like, you know. So, of, yeah, he had a lot of, he had a lot of uh, authenticity to bring to this. Yeah. Um, and I think it actually goes to show when you're actually watching it, it actually does feel like an like Ireland picking a Eurovision song you yes, know it's yeah. just like let's all go together and watch the late show and be like whoa <laughs> <laughs> well it's it, it comes at it with a very uh, as you say warm uh, embrace like it, it is poking fun at it as it is because of Father Ted but it's obviously celebrating it as well I think I definitely think so I think it's it, it doesn't do Eurovision a disservice does no, it it, no, it, it actually not. is like yeah you know what we're really good at Eurovision well not in a cocky way but like you know and, oh yeah yeah uh, but it actually does it is a warm embrace to Eurovision and you say? Eurovision culture. But they were celebrating and uh, they were passing around a bottle of champagne. I think that was Vive Flicot, which, uh, having worked in the hospitality industry, I know is an extremely expensive uh, champagne. Mm. I think it registered, uh, it retails about 70 to 100 pound a bottle. What? And, uh, in, in a bar or in a shop? Uh, well, I was working at a seafood restaurant at Ascot. Uh, oh, well, very right. hoity-toity. It was very hoity-toity. The uh, the Royal Ascot in one of the enclosures too. So they were getting keep, kept away from the mm-hmm. the, the, the riffraff, the riffraff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hoity ploy. This reminds me of uh, hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Jack, but they got one half a glass out of it before Jack snatched it off him and just swigged at the bottle. So well, Jack likes to drink. Yeah, he does. At least like he's not drinking any Vix. Yes, exactly. You know. uh, v. Flacot will have to go into, into Drake's cabinet. Uh, <laughs> or Dettol. Or Dettol or Castrol GTX. It's still my favourite. <laughs> Should I sing you a Eurovision song? Yeah, do it. Hold me now. Don't cry. Don't say a word. Just hold me now. And I will know that you're apart. We'll always be together. Forever is one. What do you say when words are not enough? Johnny Logan, 1987. And actually, Celine Dion won it in, in Dublin. She won in 1988, because Johnny Logan won it the year before. And then when I went to see Celine Dion in 2006, it was her second time in Dublin. Her husband, he went into the exact same betting shop because he bet that Celine was going to win the Eurovision. And... She did. And he went into the exact same betting no, shop. How much did he bet? Did he bet a full four pounds? That's a man's bet. As we know from That is a man's bet. Yeah. That is a man's bet. Not not to get a million points, but... Um, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so when when uh, Dougal finds out that uh, Father Dick Byrne and Sarah McDuff are both entering, he's, he's a bit defeatist with us. It's a bit of a novelty, I suppose, you know. What, with us being priests? <laughs> uh, well, not exactly, because tonight there's a very similar act to yours. Father Dick Byrne and Father Cyril McDonough. Oh, God, I didn't think they'd make it this far. Flip! They'll win, Ted. We might as well give up now. <laughs> well, that's a very defeatist attitude, Dougal. Oh, actually, it is. Sorry about that, Ted. Flip, <laughs> <laughs> Ted, they'll win now. Uh, so, uh, that for me is on end of the show. Uh, I remember that cracking me up the first time I watched that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the sort of 
oh fuck's sake there's no point now <laughs> I, can, I remember in that age where you know you'd, we were in a, was in a tiny school and we'd have to play yeah. football or something against the big school in the town yeah. which was St. Lawrence's and uh I was like, oh, there's no point in us entering. There's only six of us versus 70 of them. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, in our team, it's going to be, like, every boy, and it doesn't matter yeah, if you're exactly. bad, <laughs> you know? But the other thing I want to bring up with yourself now, Marty, is the Charles Hedges and Fred Rickwood's relationship. Uh, they're very, very open about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, straight from the start, they're a gay couple. Uh, when uh, They suggest, oh, we're partners for 10 years. And Ted mm-hmm. says, oh, we were on the production company together. And he goes, no, no, we're lovers. You're as well. You're gay. Mm-hmm. Does that did that have any effect on you when you first watched it, or did you remember? Did you recognize any of the any of the awkwardness that Ted gets himself into when he's talking about? I think when you're watching something like that, when especially when like what age we were when we were yeah, watching we were about it, ten or something. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like I was probably slightly too young to realize. Yeah, probably, yeah. However, you pro- you know I probably had the the inkling. Um, maybe if I like if that was when I was thirteen or fourteen, you know. I would have actually felt really awkward because like you know everyone watched Father Ted together didn't they yeah um, so even though I didn't feel it I can actually imagine because I can imagine what it's like watching something else that came on TV at the time and it is awkward you're sitting there and you're going uh, and your face is going red and you're like oh my god like you know what's what do I say? Do I, am I allowed to laugh at this? Yeah you know, exactly that's, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the thing even though at that time I didn't have that feeling but I can imagine watching that when I was older and I'd be like this is really embarrassing this is really embarrassing like oh my god I can't laugh and then because everyone else is laughing you kind of think to yourself ha 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 yes you do that laugh yeah. that Ted does just yeah. <laughs> exactly. it's exactly the yeah. laugh that Tez, ha- Tez has because you're actually uncomfortable um, in watching that and watching that being seen on TV because it wasn't really shown at no. that point was it it wasn't um, well I was about to remark that it was probably the first time I had seen uh, a gay character being so casual about the fact mm-hmm. that they were gay, mm-hmm. and that was it. Like as far as, that was the entirety of their gayness was the fact that they were just two men in a relationship, and the, the only the only element of their relationship you saw was when uh, Fred went on stage. He fixed up his tie, and he was completely professional. He was yeah. brilliant on the stage. Yeah. And then you see in the editing room, uh, you see Charles. He's just, oh, what a pro! Like with genuine awe and affection. Yeah. And that was the only the only bit of their relationship you actually saw. And actually, I think that a lot of TV shows and a lot of TV programs nowadays could actually look back on it and actually how to implement a gay character into the yeah. show. Yeah. Because you know the gay character is either always the comedy relief or the sidekick, and that isn't really what gay people are like in society. Yeah, gay exactly, people are your yeah. brother, your son, your 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 best friends. You know your, what I mean? Your boss, your yeah, the guy at work you hate when yeah. he doesn't pull his weight, or you know, it's everyone like it's yeah. And I think a lot of shows nowadays could actually look back on that and think, you know, that really did break the mold. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and I mean, it does it does get into a really awkward situation mm-hmm. for Ted because. Well, he's a priest. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be flying the flag for this is wrong. Like, yeah. He doesn't want to. He clearly doesn't want to. But he's just never been confronted with it before. Yeah, which would have been very pre- uh, prevalent in Ireland at that mm-hmm. time. Like mm-hmm. s- since that episode aired, like we've had Panty Bliss, we've had you know the gay marriage referendum. We've yeah. had like it's it's not really an issue. It's like it's it's really not an issue nowadays. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, I might be wrong with it. Like I'm. Oh no, definitely not. I don't think I don't think there is an issue at all now. I I think um, Ireland's really grown um, in in a social like structure. Like yeah. you know, we've got 
it's it's it, it's different now because like a lot of people just don't believe anymore. So it does actually. Uh, I don't. I don't know if, if a lot of people don't believe. I do think a lot of people have not disassociated themselves with the Catholic Church, but have sort of pulled themselves away from from the rules from yeah, the rules of the Catholic yeah. Church. So yeah, I think that would be more and, a fair comment actually. Uh, and yeah, like the kind of people who you would have thought would be, you know, the older people or whatever, who you would have thought would be more against it. Their attitude is more. Ugh, Sure, let them get it all but then do you know what I mean exactly. and it's like, like the, look, the attitude is it doesn't hurt me why should I care sort well, of yeah. About it. yeah I think that's why everyone should live their life really yeah, exactly. I, I remember watching Cachita the Worst again you, I was sitting there and you know there were so many people from so many different countries and Cachita the Worst actually when she went to the Eurovision she had this message of love and acceptance and I don't think that song was the best song that year but it was her it was that character um, Tom Newworth is is the um, the the person who drag artist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just just to remind listeners, it's the, the Austrian entry of uh, the bearded lady. Yeah, yeah, the bearded lady. Um, and she won. She was Austrian, and you know, it was that message of love and acceptance, and it was like you know, I'm going to rise like a phoenix. I'm going to be. I don't need to have people holding me down. Like you know, and when you do bring me down, I'm going to rise back up. And I think that was the most amazing thing about standing in that contest and everyone just going, we love you, Conchita, because you are bringing everyone together. And I think that was her message. And it wasn't necessarily the song, but the song, the, the lyrics of the song kind of helped hone in that message. And that's why I think that, that won by a massive landslide that year because Conchita was different. Conchita wasn't like you know Conchita wasn't gay straight it was a bearded lady it was just like oh my god what is Conchita yeah. but Conchita's mess it doesn't matter what Conchita w- was because it was just love and friendship and you know let's be friends and well, let's spread our message of love around the whole world you've uh, you've actually just given me a flashback there to when Dana International won Dana International uh, won who in, was in Brighton actually was she post up? no one no. uh or well, yeah, she, she yeah, yeah. Dan International. Dan International yeah. is, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so she's a post-op transsexual. And, uh, she in Birmingham, she won, I think, or Manchester, I'm not sure. Right, uh, well, uh, she was... Uh, but I remember coming in the next day, and one of the guys... Steve need I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> and a boy was sitting beside me in the class. And he was like, God, before I knew it was a man, I thought she was really good-looking. And I give him stick for weeks. <laughs> like, oh, he fancies her. He fancies her. He fancies yeah, her. Yeah. Uh, and you know, sure, you know, if if that if they were ever to come together and. But that's the funny know, thing is like, like the mentality. But then you know, if your mentality of a teenage boy, it's completely different. That's, you that's know. the thing. Yeah, I, you I mean, the thing, the reason South Park I think hits nail on the head so many times so often is because they, that is the mentality of it, like an eight year old kid or yeah. eight to twelve year old kid, like. And it's fine for yeah. it's fine for and them to have that opinion. But what I love about it, yeah, you do grow out of it, and you you do grow up and realize that the world isn't just this like oh let's laugh at that because it's different, let's yeah, laugh at that because yeah. it's different. And I think that's and I think Father Ted actually opened a lot of people's eyes in yeah. Ireland to what else was in the world because back then you know there wasn't a massive immigrant population, there wasn't a massive uh, openly gay population, there yeah. wasn't uh, you know alternative lifestyles were still frowned upon because mm-hmm. the Catholic Church still had this vice-like grip on, you know, public opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ted was reading Irish Catholic. Like, I remember finding you know, stacks of Irish Catholic newspapers yeah. in my aunt's house and, and stuff. And it was and like, you know, what what Mary down the road said about such and such when yeah. they were coming out of chapel. You know, it wasn't... 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't really reflect society. It was just like there was a smoke train in front of society. Yeah, and the, 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 as you say, when they come out of chapel, uh, as I mentioned this in the thing before, people would go to mass just for the social aspect mm-hmm. of it, more than to be fucking preached about how to, you know, hate somebody else, which is a yeah. lot of what religion is, you yeah. know, in my in my opinion. Well, actually, I was at a wedding one time, and the priest actually said, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> so um, I was just sitting there going, hmm. And I actually was doing a reading afterwards and my mom was like don't say anything you better not say anything and i was really, like right yeah, um, and i was like mommy i'm not gonna get him ruin someone's wedding like but yeah, um, exactly like but you know it's a, it's 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 hurtful when i can imagine yeah I can when imagine. you're sitting in a building you're celebrating love between two people but you know is was my love your... not valid is my love like from the point of view of the priest at that time is is my love not valid you know yeah exactly yeah uh, was it a priest who knew you no or, no no no, 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 no somewhere no. else was yeah. it right but yeah, uh, I think well, well, we'll go through a few other things. So some of the lists of the, uh, the other entrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the standard ones was "You Dirty English Bastard" by the Harry <laughs> Bises. That sounds like a really good Irish song. There, <laughs> it, it does. Uh, the Harry Bises is actually a real band. Ah. Uh, they're friends of Graham Lennon. Well, this is according to Wikipedia, which I will put that uh, uh, that little caveat on. Uh, they're friends of uh, Graham Lennon. They do comedy Republican songs. I, from what I can gather, they mm-hmm. sort of parody the Wolf Tones uh, yeah. sort of thing, uh, but there is like there is a lot of bands like that who will just are very you know pro Republican and well, anti English. Well, it's my lovely horse a party of Right On by Christy Moore. Right On, yes, for my money, the greatest glissando in musical <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's all you need to hear, and every Irish person knows exactly what song that is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful, beautiful songs by one of the greatest songwriters to walk the planet. And it's, a, it's about a horse. About a horse, <laughs> yes. Know? And Yes, exactly, yeah. So that was the sort of the, yeah. the Craggy Island version. <laughs> the Craggy Island karaoke machine will have, uh, have the My Lovely Horse. Yeah. Well, yeah, do you notice when Dick when Dick Burns preparing to go on stage and he's uh, he's giving Ted the old. Yeah. So, so Ted is getting annoyed because Dick Burns looks so confident. And he actually does the whole. Uh, yes, I noticed that. Scratch your head yeah. with the middle yeah. of your finger first, and then. But he, he doesn't. But like you know, he was just like not really noticing, and then it was like. Yeah, and then he decided, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm just going straight <laughs> for it, and just give him the flipped him the V. It yeah. was the smugness of it all. Yeah. It was like, and then Ted's response was just. Yeah. <laughs> but Ted tried to give it back, give it back just as much. But unfortunately, the presenter on stage saw him, so he had to oh, he had to turn turn the, uh, the scratching middle finger to the. The flip the V yeah. to the waves. <laughs> he went. A, he went a horrible journey there. But, uh, <coughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, the other thing they heard. They heard the uh, song "Piped Through the Elevator." Yeah. Now, that uh, they must have heard the pre. They must have heard my lovely horse that Father Ted was about to go on stage performing, and somebody must have noticed this at one point, especially since people are coming out of the elevator whistling it. Yeah. Yeah. So that wouldn't happen in this X Factor age where you know everything's filtered six weeks ahead of time. Well, exactly. Yeah. Do you think it's owned by Muzak? Music is that a company? Is it? Ah, uh, music. Yeah, yeah. They um they do elevator music. Oh right, I didn't realize it was a company. Yeah. I thought it was just it's it's, it's a, a French company. Oh right. Well, I remember reading an article in Slate magazine or Slate website or something years ago extolling the virtues of music mm-hmm. because it is actually if you're sitting in a silent elevator, it is actually really weird. Yeah. Especially if you know if there's a lot of strangers in the elevator as well. It's just having that little. Just I hope to be played in an elevator someday. Yeah. Think of the royalties. Yes, I know. Oh yeah, I loved uh, I loved Cyril's little spin on the keyboard. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it it goes to show that um, you know the the priests from Rugged Island are just 
better. They are, they? you know, uh, they've got they've got a better keyboard. You know, yes, he's got a better keyboard, a bigger keyboard. He's got an eight octave Casio yeah. instead of Dougal's <laughs> yeah. four octave one, or maybe one octave. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just like they're always better, and you know, everyone loves Underdog, don't they? And I kind of think this yes. is why it works very well. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, Vince did mention that before. Actually, he thought Rugged Island was called uh, Rugged Island because they were more ruggedly handsome, and everything was just slightly <laughs> more polished on Rugged Island. Um, I don't think it was. I think it was rugged because traggy rocks, rugged yeah. rocks, like yeah. that sort of things. And we did have a meet the maker, and I do have to bring this up. Um, at the end, when when they're, they're getting the results read mm -hmm. out, we have a translator. And now, could we please have the points for Ireland's entry, My Lovely Horse? Ireland, ni point. Ireland, no points. Ireland, no points. Irlandia, mi ven vas mi. Ireland, no points. Ireland, keine Punkte. Ireland, no points. Iska, Bashbordova. Again, Ireland, no points. Ilentia, Nyerda, Rochen. Ireland, not, not, nothing there again. <laughs> Ireland, no points. Ilenia, Nyerda, Pyrde. Yes, that means nothing. Jolenski, Nyerda, Pyrde. Nothing. Uh, and that's Arthur Matthews, I think. You know, I can't be entirely sure about this because he does put on different colours to his voice when he's reading out in Ireland. No points there either. That's Ireland. No point. Uh, but I think that's Arthur Matthews. So now he's 4 1 up on Graham. Ah. So I've uh, yeah, been keeping scoring that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, we've had no, we've had no ago ons still. So we're still on 29 now. Yeah, we had no Agawans no, this time, no, no, I have to say. And Jack didn't even speak. Jack didn't speak. At oh, all. yes, he didn't. He just shot the gun, didn't he? he? You he know, just he shot was the gun just completely out of the episode. Yeah, and he, he just joined the, uh, joined the Norwegian. I actually whatever, think of, of Father Jack entered Eurovision now. He might, he might win. Well, <laughs> you know. But the Ireland had uh, dust in the turkey. and That was a shame. <laughs> really? Why? It was just... It, it, it was kind of playing into the whole Eurovision thing of oh, let's have just a complete novelty yeah, but, joke, let, yeah. but not actually have it any good. Unlike Babushka, the, the Russian old waving, you know, that was, they were cute and they were fun but, you know, they also had a, a good enough song. Well, uh, let's wrap it up then. Uh, this has to be a top five uh, contender. It has I to think be. this is my favourite episode. You, you said that, yeah. yeah. So this would be your favourite episode of all time. Is that... Yeah. Because uh, because of the Eurovision connection, or just because you know, I think yeah, I one? think that there is um, I think it's like a party of Ireland in the Eurovision, yeah. so that's why I love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just there's so many moments now. It, it, for the first few minutes, I was thinking, gosh, is this a top fiver? I, I was generally mm. thinking it's actually getting quite slow to start with, but then when they started getting into the song, yeah, getting into the the songwriting process, and then going on to the rivalry. And the just the politics of Eurovision, yeah, and, yeah. and this most iconic like scene in exactly. Eurovision history or in the Power so Jet history. Exactly. And yeah. then I realized oh, oh, I can't not have a top five contender without with uh, yeah. my lovely horse not being in this. So, yeah. I mean, it is absolutely brilliant. It's 8.8 .8 out of 10 on IMDb. So, the fans uh, clearly like love it, it as well. Uh, it's you know, it's constantly on the like these Gremlins and Arthur Graham and Arthur's lists and stuff, and just you know, lists by websites and stuff. So, I mean, it is genuinely brilliant brilliant yeah. episode i agree i yeah. agree it's one of my it is my favorite episode i have to say yeah. it is <laughs>
Well, we'll call it there then. Uh, so we're on iTunes now, so give us a rating and review. And uh, we're on SoundCloud as well, so if you want to subscribe to us that way, facebook.com slash ecumenicalmatters. Marty, you are looking for a singer. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, soundcloud.com forward slash Marty Divine. Um, you can send me a message on that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, cool. Come, um, come get me. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. And bless you. Bye. Take off.